We're studying through the beginning of the book of Daniel, looking at what it means to be exiles. And the question that we're asking as we're studying through the first part of this book is, how do you live out your faith in a land that's not your home? We see Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who were taken from Judah. They were brought into Babylon. They're this strange land where everything of the world is pressing against them. And yet you see them standing firm, standing out, walking strong in their faith in the Lord. And it's, uh, it's a challenge for us. It's an example, an inspiration for us. Because I want you and I to know that this world that we're in is not our home. We're not in Israel, we're in Babylon. And we're in a world that is set against the Lord and against the people of the Lord. And so we need to consider and think about how we are supposed to live out our faith in a land that's not our home. Adoniram and Nancy Judson were the first American Baptist missionaries that were sent out. And they were sent to the country of Burma in the early 1800s. And as they were there, they began learning the Burmese language, learning the culture. But that didn't mean that everything was going easy or smoothly or or even well for them for a lot of the time that they were there. For They had lots of sickness, lots of suffering, and actually lots of death that they faced. They lost three children there on the mission field. And Nancy became very ill and went back to the United States to try and to recover for two years, separated from her husband. After she came back onto the field, a war broke out between Burma, where they were living, and the country of England. And so the the emperor of Burma in 18... 24 decided that anybody who was Western had to have been a British spy. And so they took Adoniram and they threw him in prison. And he was in prison for uh, 19 months. As he was in prison, she was trying to come and to take care of him, trying to bring him food. She actually brought him a pillow that she had sewn the Bible that he had been translating uh, into Burmese into the pillow so that he would have a Bible inside of prison while he was there. Eventually, he was released, and and he was actually used as a translator for the peace negotiations between Burma and England. But even when the war ended, their sufferings didn't. Following that, Nancy went to be with the Lord in 1826, and their two-year-old daughter, Maria, died just six months later. Lots of hardship, lots of suffering, lots of pain, lots of trials. And so Adoniram went into a great uh, grief, a great depression is how they would probably uh, describe it today. He actually went and built a hut deep in the jungle and lived there for a long time. And he was in just immense sorrow. But after a, a while, he came out of the jungle more convinced ever that God had called him to reach the people of Burma for Christ. And so over the next decade, there was great evangelistic fruitfulness. There were lots of people who were coming to faith in Christ. He was translating the Bible into the language of the people. And he was mentoring a stream of missionaries that were coming onto the field. But that didn't mean that his trials were over. He married again, 
he lost that wife. He married uh, another time to Anne, who's in the picture here. And finally, at the end of his life, he made a trip back to America where he went up and down the East Coast promoting missions among churches here in the United States before he went to be with the Lord in 1850. And so you look at the life of a man named Adniram and, and, and Nancy and Ann uh, Judson, and in Baptist world, those are, those are names that we're familiar with. I know lots of little people, or lots of pastors who name their, their little children Judson after these guys. There's a college in Alabama named after them. There's all sorts of things named after this couple who are heroes as we look at them for, for how God used them in the mission field. But it was hard for them. They faced all kinds of hardships and suffering and, and trials. And so how do the Judsons walk with God in a strange land that's not their home? Where they're facing all sorts of trials and, and facing even death. How do you and I live out our faith in a land that's not our home? Well, as we look at Daniel chapter 3 today, we're going to see that we're going to live out our faith in a land that's not our home by trusting God in the trials. Trusting God. God and the trials. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel 3 with me. And if you'd stand in honor of God's word, if you're able, we're going to read the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 3 today. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, the word of God says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this passage of scripture today and, and this situation that's now uh, arisen in the nation of Babylon the action step for us today as we pull this story into the 21st century and into our lives and into what we're doing every day, the action step for us today is to walk with Jesus before the trials occur. All right, I want you to hear that and, and, and jot it down. Think about this as we're going through this, this sermon today, to walk with Jesus before the trials ever occur. As we look at this chapter today, we see in Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that firstly, 
they had preparation before their trials. There was preparation before the trials. In verses 5 and 6, it says, When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, doesn't that sound like something Dr. Seuss would play, the zither, right? The zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music. You're to fall face down and worship this gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And so Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had already established a faithful walk with God. We know this from the the prior chapters. When, When they were brought into exile in Babylon, they didn't succumb to all the indoctrination of the Babylonian culture. Remember when they came, they wanted to teach them the language and the, the food and, and all the laws and all the culture and everything. They, they wanted to make them uh, Babylonian citizens. But with Daniel, along with Daniel, they, they had asked permission to not eat of the food that, that the king was trying to, to serve to them. And we find them remaining steadfast in their walk with God. So when this trial arises... They were ready. They had already made up their mind that they were going to walk with God, no matter what. It wasn't a question for them. It wasn't like this was presented before them. You either got to bow down before this statue or you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And they're like, well, what should we do? Let's have a a conference and figure this out. They, They had already made up their mind long before this step what they were going to do. There was no question. And so even though there are great consequences to their decision to follow after God, they are unwavering. And so what I want us to understand today is that you seldom win the trial if you aren't prepared beforehand. You seldom win in the trial if you aren't prepared beforehand. We know this principle in other areas of your life. If you want to be a good athlete, what do you do? You practice, right? You go to the free throw line and you sit there for hours shooting free throws over and over so that when you're at the end of the game and you got to hit two free throws to win, you're ready. That's not the time to go, boy, I wish I had to practice some free throws, right? If you want to be a really good musician like the ones we have up here on our stage, it isn't when they're sitting there playing the pre-service music that you go, boy, I probably should have tried this out a few times before I got up here today, right? They spend hours clunking out notes and reading pages of music so that they're ready when the time comes. If you want to be good at your job, you train again and again and again. And the same thing is true in your spiritual life. The trial's not won in that moment. The trial's won in the hundreds of moments before when you're on your knees in the prayer closet. That's when the trial's won. Charles Spurgeon says that trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soul and let us see what we're made of. Right? And so if we were going to dig up your soul today, what would we find? Are we walking with Jesus, abiding with him in prayer and in his word? Or are we waffling back and forth? Are you spiritually ready to face the onslaught of the evil one? Because the Bible says that he's a roaring lion who's coming after you. 
Or are you trying to see just how far you can go before you cross over that line? Paul urges us in the New Testament to put on the full armor of God. And so are we ready to face trials that are certain to come? Because they're one in the early morning Bible devotions. They're one in the D group meetings. They're one in the crying out to God in bed late at night. They're one in the faithful gathering with God's people for worship. You can't get to that trial in that moment and go, boy, what should I do? It's one long before that. In verse 12, we find that the leaders there in Babylon are outing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says there are some Jews that you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So they are reported and they're brought before the king. And so now is the moment of truth. Are they going to trust God in this trial or are they going to walk it back? <laughs> because they know what's going to happen. He's, he's made it abundantly clear. He's going to throw them in a really hot, fiery furnace. And it's easy to talk a big game. It's much more difficult to live it out. And so you come to verses 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true? that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up. If you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you'll immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Things just got real for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This isn't theoretical anymore. This isn't hypothetical anymore. Their lives are threatened now because of their worship of God. But we find that they were prepared for this trial spiritually. Are you prepared for the trials that are certain to come in your life because we don't live in a land that's our home? The second thing that we see in this chapter this morning is that they were trusting God in the trials. They were trusting in his promise among the trials. They were trusting in his promise among the trials. I want you to listen to the faith of these three young men. I mean, imagine being in their shoes at this moment. They're standing before the most powerful man in the world who's literally built a statue of himself. And he's telling them that they have to bow down and worship this statue. And he's holding their very lives in his hands. There's certain death facing them, a horrifying and excruciating death. And here's what they say to him in verse 17 and 18. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's 
pretty remarkable, pretty incredible, is it not? They said, our God is more powerful than you are, and we're going to trust in him. And even if he doesn't rescue us from the fiery furnace, we're not going to bow down and worship you. I mean, they have no idea what God is going to do in this situation. We know because we've read this story before what's about to happen, but they have no clue what God is going to do. They are simply relying on a God who's never failed. They're trusting in a God who's always faithful. They're believing in a God who never lies. I want you to remember that when you're facing the trials that you're facing in your life every single day. They're trusting in his promises. This God who's always faithful, who never fails, who never lies. It's very similar to what Job says in Job 13, verses 13 through 15. As he's talking to uh, these uh, advisors in his life, he says, Be quiet and I will speak. Let whatever comes happen to me. I will put myself at risk and take my life in my own hands. Even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. Even if if I die, I'm still putting my hope in the Lord. This is trusting in God even when he doesn't heal your loved one. This is trusting in God even if you don't get that job that you wanted. This is trusting in God even if that deal falls through. This is trusting in God even when all the water pipes burst in your house and you have major repairs on the, on the horizon. Are we going to trust in God even when we don't understand what he's doing? Are we going to trust in God even when we don't see the whole picture? They were trusting in God even when things didn't look good, right? In verses 19 and 20, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, as you would imagine. They had just defied him. He's filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is very angry at this point. He gives orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So there's outrage, there's anger at their boldness that's resulting in a fierce persecution against them. Verses 22 and 23. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. He was so angry, he had them uh, heat up the fire so hot that even the people that were bringing them up to the fire died. I mean, they, they, you know, just were incinerated or whatever. And so then you have Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego just kind of falling down into this fiery furnace all bound up. Be a pretty bad ending, right, to this story. But that's what they had said. They said, even if he doesn't 
rescue us. We're not going to bow down and worship your gods or this statue of you, Nebuchadnezzar. And what we need to realize is that if the story ended at verse 23, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not trust the Lord in vain. If the story ends right there, they didn't trust him in vain. If they died in that moment, they would have been saved because of their faith in the promises of God. They were looking ahead by faith to the promise of God to save them. You and I are looking back by faith to the promise of God to save us through Jesus. And we're called to walk in faith just like these three men did. In fact, in the New Testament church, we see them having this same sort of attitude that we're going to trust God and we're viewing the suffering that we're facing as a sign that God is with us. In Acts 5, verses 41 and 42, this says that they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They they viewed it a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That was the attitude of the New Testament church. It's the same attitude that we find here among these three men. That they, they counted it a privilege to suffer for the Lord. And we wouldn't know the names of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego if they weren't faithful. I mean, we, we wouldn't know this story if they weren't willing to suffer for the Lord. But God used this situation to refine these three giants of the faith. Paul Chapel wrote, Often we endure trials seeking God's deliverance from them. Suffering is painful for us to endure or to see those we love endure. And while our instinct is to flee trials, remember that even in the midst of suffering, God's will is being done. Even in the midst of suffering, God's will is being done. I mean, how often do we pray for the Lord to deliver us from any sort of suffering? I mean, we are so averse to suffering. Right? I mean, if, if anything hard comes, we're like, God, please rescue me from this. And if we ever considered that God is using suffering to refine us and to grow us. Every trial is an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. Every trial that you face. And so that thing that you're going through right now, God may be using it to try to teach you something through it if you'll open your heart up. That thing that you're going through right now. We could go around the room and everyone could probably give a testimony and say, this is the trial, this is the hardship that I'm facing right now. And I've been begging God to get get me out of it. Just like Paul begged God three times to take away the thorn in his flesh, but God never did. And God said that that in your weakness... I'll be strong. So that thing that you're going through, God may be teaching you something through it. In fact, Adoniram Judson said, if you succeed without sacrifice, then it's because someone has suffered before you. 
And if you sacrifice without success, it's because someone will succeed after you. Most of my growth as a Christian has come through various trials and suffering that I faced in my life. Whether it was through my wife's accident that she had, whether it was through um, the hardship of, of, um, of infertility or of, of, uh, of losing uh, a child early on in pregnancy, uh, of, of various trials that we've gone through in life. Those are the things that God has used to make me who I am. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be where I am if God had not used hard things in life to mold me and to shape me and to bring me through suffering. It builds your faith and it helps you to rely on the promise of God as you go through trials. The third thing and final thing that we see in this passage this morning is God's presence in trials. As we've been going through, we've seen to be prepared before trials. We see that we can trust in his promises when we're in trials. But we also see here that he promises his presence with us. And the, the, the amazing thing about this story is that it doesn't end in verse 23. When you get to verse 24, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. And he says to his advisors, Didn't we just throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. And he exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. <laughs> These young men were thrown into the fire, but they weren't alone. God was with them in this trial. In fact, he had promised this to them through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 he says I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers they will not overwhelm you you will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you God did not leave them alone in this trial they might have thought look what Look what we tried to take a stand for you, God, and look what happened. We got tied up. We got thrown into a seven times hot furnace. Look what happened. Look what did happen. God was right there with them. And there they are walking around unburned, unscathed inside of this fiery furnace. He didn't leave them alone. And God has promised his presence to be with us no matter what we're going through. David writes it like this in Psalm 23, verses 4 through 6. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I'll fear no danger, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Boy. How many times have, have you been comforted or have comforted someone else with those words from Psalm 23? That God will be present with us in the trials that we're facing. And this wasn't just a promise for the Hebrew people. It's a promise that he's given to his church as well. Because when you get to the end of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, 
when he tells them to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve everything that I've commanded you. And at the end of it, he says, and remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Wow. Isn't that good? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when you're struggling in your family, he says, I am with you always. When you're facing all sorts of trials, he says, I'm with you always. When you are in need, he says, I'm with you always. When you're sick, he says, I'm with you always. When you're doubting, he says, I'm with you always. When you have to make a tough decision in life, he says, I'm with you always. When you're unsure, he says, I'm with you, always. When you're scared, he says, I'm with you, always. When you're feeling alone, he says, I'm with you, always. When you're feeling let down, he says, I'm with you, always. When you're feeling helpless, he says, I'm with you, always. No matter what you're going through, he says, I am with you, always. And this was God's intention from the very beginning, that he would be with us. He created man in his image, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He was fellowshipping with us. But man severed that relationship by sinning against God. And we suffered that separation that comes as a result and a consequence of our sin. But God didn't give up on us. He says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14 that the Lord himself will give us a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son and she'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God is with us. When we get to the New Testament and the Gospels, we find the angels telling Mary that you're going to give birth to a son. He'll be Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus gathers his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper, he says to them in John 14, verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you'll be also. You'll be with me. And here he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And what happens at the end of the age? <laughs> That's when Jesus comes back for us, right? That's when he comes on the eastern sky and the clouds, and he comes and gathers his church to be with him so that where he is, she will be also. And Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, this is what John saw. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will be with us again. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and grief and crying and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Everything is restored. And once again, God is with us, Emmanuel. And so we can rely on his presence in every trial that you're facing, including the one that you're facing today. How did the Judsons walk with God in a strange land, facing trials and even death? 
How are we going to live out our faith in a world that's not our home? By trusting God in the trials. There may be some here this morning who need to trust in Christ for salvation. And just like I just shared, this has been God's plan from the very beginning. That he would be with us. That you would have a relationship with him. And he loves you so much that he sent his very own son, Jesus, to pay the price for what we did. For our sins. He died in our place on the cross, taking upon himself the wrath and the punishment. And he died, but on the third day he rose from the dead, alive, the victor over sin, over death, over hell. And he offers to us forgiveness and salvation and a relationship with God again. If we would put our faith in him as our Savior and follow him as our Lord and King. There may be some here this morning who need to make that decision in your heart. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus came, so that we could have a relationship with God again. And so that might be a decision you need to make today, and we're going to stand and sing in just a moment, and there are going to be leaders here across the front, and they're there to talk to you, to counsel you, to pray with you, to, to talk with you about this very decision in your heart. And so if this is the decision you need to make today, then I want you to come and to share with one of these leaders that I want to trust in Jesus today to forgive me of my sin. Christians this morning, we said that the action step for today is to walk with Jesus before the trials ever occur. Remember that there's preparation before the trials. That the victory is won not in the moment, but long before that. And so are you walking with Christ? Are you abiding in him? Maybe this morning you want to spend some time in prayer at your seat or, or here at this altar. Because Listen, if you're in a trial right now, you know. If you're not in a trial right now, it's on its way. Because this land isn't our home. And so are you going to ready your heart? Are you going to prepare yourself for what's to come? Maybe you want to spend some time here in prayer, trusting in these promises of God, trusting in the presence of God. If you're in that trial today, you might want to spend time here crying out to God, saying, God, I trust you, I promise you, be with me, walk with me through this. There may be some this morning that need to come and become part of this church family. This is an opportunity for you to come and to, to unite with what God is doing here at Wallace Memorial Baptist Church. And what I would say to you is one of the greatest things that I found in my life, and I'm sure many others here would would, would attest to the same thing, is that when I go through trials, it's awesome to have a church family there with you, to walk with you through it, to have brothers and sisters that will lock arms with you. And that's, what, that's part of being a, a part of a church family. And so I want to encourage you to come and to, to make that decision today. But however God is speaking to your heart, now's the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for your word today. Lord, for the example that we see in the lives of these men, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. God, of their faithfulness in the midst of these trials. God, we know that we're going to face trials. We may be in the midst of one right now. And so, God, how are we going to react? How are we going to respond? How are we going to, to walk through this? 
God, I pray today that we would prepare our hearts by walking with you faithfully. God, that we would rely on your promises. God, that we would lean on your presence with us to make it through. So God, I pray that you would minister to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls here this morning that may be going through various trials. And God, that you would let them know that you are with them, that you're for them, that they can trust you. And God, if there's any here today that, that don't have a relationship with you, my prayer is that today that they would repent and trust in Jesus, that they would find this love and this relationship with you today. We ask it in Jesus' name.